The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 19th, the Wrap It Up edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer and a contributor to Slate's parenting advice column, Karen Feeding. I live in California, sort of, and I'm mom to Naima, who's six and sitting by my side today having a sick day from school. Feel better, Naima. Uh, I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor and writer at Slate. I'm the author of How to Be a Family, out this week. Uh, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. Hi, Jamila. How's it going? Good. Thank you. It is a little bit of an insane week, book release week, but I think I'm going to make it through. What's this about a book, Dan? I heard you have a book. Uh, rumor has it I have a book. Thanks so much for asking. Yes. Um, listeners to the podcast have probably heard a lot about this book. But yes, How to Be a Family, the book I wrote about our family's trip around the world in 2017, is out now and in stores. Um, and Slate Plus listeners today will get a little extra excerpt as well. So anyways, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book. Have you ever liked anything I've said on this podcast? Do you hate me and wish you could burn something I love? Buy the book. And one thing I would love to add is uh, I'm on tour for this book right now. And so if you are a mom and dad or fighting listener and you want to meet me, please come out and come to these events. And the next week I'm, I'm doing four events, in fact, and I would love to see you. Um, on Friday, September 20th, I'm at Politics and Prose in Washington, D.C. Uh, on Sunday, September 22nd, I'm at Book Passage in Corte Madera, California. Um, the next day, Monday the 23rd, I'm at Books Incorporated in Berkeley. Uh, and then Wednesday the 25th, I'm at Flyleaf Books in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, I think each of these events will be really fun, and I would love to meet you. Please introduce yourself as a listener and uh, shake my hand. Then we'll have all these events listed on the um, Slate Parenting Facebook page as well uh, under the Events tab. By the book. By the book. So in addition to us selling you to buy the book, today we've got a question about a 14-year-old who's looking to purchase some prophylactics for the first time and a co-parenting dad who's finding that maybe his little one isn't quite as happy in the other household as he is when he's with his father. So to kick off today's show, as always, we're doing triumphs and fails. I have so many of each this week, but let's start with you, Dan. Triumph or fail? Uh, I have a triumph, and this is a triumph that has been long gestating. Listeners, I would like you to please join me on a journey back in time to April 14th, 2016. Sometimes that's a solution. Mostly it's just that every morning, like, one of us goes downstairs and we, like, paw through that basket for five or six minutes until we find two socks that have something to do with each other and we bring them upstairs for the kids to wear. And I, although there have been two different times where rather than, like, dealing with that anymore, I just bought a bunch of new matching socks for each of the kids. And now all of those new matching socks are in the laundry basket with all the other socks. So, so our kids have, like have done without just like a proper drawer in their room full of matching socks for so long that they have like adapted to it. You know how like how like animals that live at the bottom of the ocean have adapted to life under immense pressure. So our kids have done that now, but with socks. So Harper has convinced herself that wearing two unmatching socks is cool. Like that's her style because she never has matching socks. And Lyra has just given up on socks completely. She, has, she hasn't worn socks in months now. Even on the coldest of days, she will not wear socks because there never are any. My triumph is I fixed it. 
I fucking fixed the socks. How did you fix socks? Uh, well, so that was three years ago, three and a half years ago. Um, many listeners may be aware that in that time, we left our house for a year, traveled around the world, and then returned to our house. I'm ashamed to say that during that year, the laundry basket full of socks was put in storage with many of the socks still in it, unmatched, then was taken out of storage a year later, returned to our house, placed back on top of the washing machine, or sorry, the dryer, returned to our house, placed back on top of the dryer, and then sat there for another two years or so. But this past week, I put in the time while we watched three or four episodes of Buffy, uh, just sitting on the floor, hundreds of socks scattered around me, painstakingly matching sock to partner until I had matched everything I had. I scoured the kids' rooms in our room, found all single socks lying around in drawers, brought them downstairs, added them to the pile, matched them. And I was left with, I would say probably... 60 to 70 pairs of socks and then another 25 individual socks with no partners. I made everyone go through, pick the socks that were important to them to keep. Alia put her socks up in her drawer. Lyra and Harper put their socks in their drawers. I got mine. And then I threw the rest of the socks in the fucking garbage. And now they're gone forever. The laundry basket is no longer on top of the dryer, and I'm never, ever, ever doing that again. From now on, all socks are matched instantly as soon as they are out of the dryer, or else they go in someone's drawer and they are their problem, not a communal problem in the laundry basket from hell. So that is my triumph. It took me only 1,100 days, (laughs) but I fixed the socks. I am impressed by both your fixing the sock the sock problem, but also you being able to figure out which episode a thousand days ago that you spoke <laughs> about the sock problem. I uh, cannot tell you what socks I had on yesterday. And you <laughs> were able to go back into the archives of this show and find your original sock grape. That is amazing. I- it is amazing that I can be that organized in that facet of my life, yet it took me three and a half years to just match a bunch of socks <laughs> together. Uh, but I swear to God, this I swear before God and everyone, I will never go through that again. I will never let myself be a victim again of socks. Mm-hmm. From now on, this is the way it's going to be in our house, I swear. How about you, Jamila? Do you have a triumph or a fail this week? So my triumph for the week is coming through um, via a guest who, well, I'm sorry, she's a little bit too distracted by the TikTok videos that she's watching on her iPad to be bothered with me, so maybe I should count this as a fail, but Naima, can you say hi? Hi. Um, Can you tell everyone how old you are? Six. Okay. Naima, do you think I'm a good mommy? No pressure. Yes. Okay, and why do you think that? Because you have good abilities. Oh, and thank you. And what are my good abilities? You're nice and you're not mean and you don't hit people and you don't hurt people. Okay. Is there anything else you want to say about me? Um, mommy's sweet. What is that? Mommy's sweet. Okay. Thank you. And did I pay you to say any of that? 
Did I? No. Plead the fifth, Naima. Plead the fifth. (laughs) You seem so unclear. Do you want me to pay you to say it? I don't know what that means. Okay. Well, as you can tell, um, her testimony was not bought, and that came from the heart. So my triumph is my daughter thinks that I'm sweet and nice and a good mom, and that's enough for me. That's all I can offer this week, Dan. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. Being a parent is a lot of work, if you haven't heard. I can't believe you repeat customers keep having children, um, even though I do kind of want a baby. Anyway, that's all I got. Congratulations on your on your good abilities. Okay, let's go on to some business. If you'd like to stay abreast of Slate's phenomenal parenting content, including care and feeding, the advice column where someone as unhinged and <laughs> questionably credentialed as me dispenses parenting advice, as well as- In the as, proud spirit of Slate parenting content of all kinds. Yes, as well as mom and dad are fighting, which is what you're listening to right now, of course, ask a teacher and much more, then you sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email, and we'll be in your inbox with all of our neuroses and our adorable children. And as always, if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer on the podcast, leave a message at 424-255-7833. Or you can email us at slate.com. And if your question is selected, you may just get to hear it read by the amazing Shasha Leonard. You can also check out our Facebook group by searching Slate Parenting on Facebook. It is a vibrant, very active community, and it's also moderated, so you don't have to worry about anything getting too crazy. Um, And you can post questions there. You can interact with other parents. You can discuss our articles and talk about how great the advice we give is and how we always get it 100% correct, um, et cetera, et cetera. Really? Is that that what's on there? I am afraid of Facebook, (laughs) and I go on there once a month. So that's been my experience. (laughs) My my tremendously curated experience has been very positive. Um, That's because I'm slightly afraid of Facebook. And in Slate Plus today, we are not talking. Dan is reading from his book, which just came out this week. And we are hoping that you're going to go out and purchase it so he can be a really big star. And then we could get like a really huge budget for the podcast. And I can have snacks and stuff when I come to the studio. And it will be awesome. So if you are not a Slate Plus subscriber, please please, please sign up for our membership program. It allows you to support the work of this podcast and your other favorite Slate shows, and you get, in return, extended ad-free versions of them and a lot of other great benefits. You get bonus content. You get to read more. You get to hear more. And you can say that you are supporting work that you believe in. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. All right, let's get into our questions, which are as not always, but more often than not, read by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I have this arrangement for my 30-month-old son, where he's with his mom five days a week and with me two days of the week. I pick him up from daycare on Thursdays and take him back to his mom's Saturday evenings. This has been going on for six months now. Every time I drop him off, he cries, expressing in his own way that he does not want me to leave him. He refuses to voluntarily go with his mom. I leave him with tears rolling down his face, and I feel horrible driving back to my place. We have tried other meeting places, like playgrounds or malls, to distract him, but this has not worked. 
Every Saturday is the same. I'm worried about the long-term negative effects on him, and I keep wondering if there are things that I can do to minimize the toll on him. Is he going to accept it at some point? I appreciate any advice you can give. I also feel sorry for his mom, but as adults, we can handle it okay, I guess. Thanks. Wrong. 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 (laughs) Wrong. No. As adults, we cannot handle it okay. There is nothing more soul-crushing than watching your child... Watching your child cry for anything remotely resembling a valid reason. So, like, I dropped my ice cream as opposed to, you know, I want ice cream, but I've been behaving terribly all day. It hurts. It hurts very badly. It hurts so much that you are having an issue watching it happen, even though you're not the parent who, you know, is being, dare I say, targeted by these tears. To see your child cry because they have to go with you is a singular type of pain that I've experienced and I would only wish on my worst enemy because it's heartbreaking, whether it's going with the other parent or going, you know, I'm sorry, whether it's a matter of they'd rather be with the other parent or they don't want to leave daycare or they're having fun at a friend's house, whatever it is, when your child sees you, especially at a ripe 30 months of age, which is two and a half years. I pulled out my calculator to verify that. You want those little eyes to light up. You want those chubby little arms to be outstretched and for them to toddle over to you and throw their arms around you and say, mommy or daddy or whomever. You don't want to see them cry. So I understand that whatever happened between you and mom uh, resulted in this situation. So it may not be as easy uh, for you to be super empathetic or, or to, you know, be overly concerned by how she's handling this. But as an outsider, I can say my heart breaks for her and it breaks for all three of you. Um, as someone who has been in a co-parenting situation for the entirety of my child's life, um, I can tell you that it can be difficult, even with a harmonious um, arrangement, even if all parties have agreed to the terms by which you're dividing the child's time. There's always going to be a situation where somebody, be it one of the parents or the the child or one of the children, isn't where they want to be in that moment. And it can hurt. You will miss your child. His mother will miss your child. Your son will miss both of you or one of you or will miss being with both of you at the same time. Um, particularly if he's old, if he's able to remember that being a situation, it's difficult. Um, what I'm curious about, uh, what we didn't get from this letter is this has been going on for six months. I'm assuming that the child lived with both of you, uh, prior to, ah, excuse me, this has been going on for six months. I don't know if the child was living with the two of you prior to that or if he was dividing or if he were spending more of his time with his mother than with you or vice versa. Um, But I'm suspecting that this is a change for him, um, that he was used to having maybe both of you around, which could be part of the reason why when he's dropped off um, with his mother, he's crying because there's a point in his life where he may have had daddy seven days out of the week and now he only gets him two days. Um, I'm also curious to know how does he behave when you pick him up? I'm assuming that he's happy 
because he's not um, you, you didn't make any reference to that. So I, I think it's fair to assume that he's happy to see you and, and that he's not having um, an issue. But also you're picking him up from daycare as opposed to picking right. him up That's from a his mother. It's a different scenario than the drop off between two parents exactly you know and so we don't know how does he behave when he's dropped off at daycare monday through thursday and is he spending all day friday with you or are you taking him to daycare on friday and and then keeping him for the weekend or i'm sorry for saturday because i'm sounds like maybe he's getting three days in a row with or sorry he's getting thursday evening maybe all day friday and all day saturday with you if that is the case, I would not be surprised if this same child is less than thrilled about being dropped off at daycare by his mother, right? He's only getting a little bit of time with you each week. It may be the case that if you and your former partner can come to an agreement that allows you to have a more equitable division of time, and again, I know there's so many factors that could be in place with that and in so many reasons that that might not be possible, but it may be something worth considering. Um, He's getting half of the weekend with you and half of the weekend with mom, which is great. Um, I've always thought that the weekend dad thing was kind of unfair because some of the most valuable time you can have with your children is over the weekend. During the week, you're back and forth between school or daycare and work. You know, you're not getting as much uh, togetherness. You're getting up, getting out the door, coming home, tired, eating, maybe doing some homework, watching a show, going to sleep. The weekend is when kids really come alive and you really get to bond with them. So it's great that you're splitting that time. But perhaps, if possible, you may want to speak to his mother about getting a little bit more time with him during the week. Also, again, you need to ask, what is drop-off like at daycare? And if you don't feel comfortable asking his mother that, you can ask um, one of the daycare employees, hey, is he typically in good spirits when his mother, you know, when he's dropped off in the mornings? Um, What's been going on here? I think he wants more time with you. And that's quite reasonable. You know, he's two and a half years old. He knows his parents very well. And he is getting a lot of mommy time relative to what he's getting with you. Um, I suspect that he may want more time with his dad. He may. And I think that's very possible. I would say, however, that if you're going to go to your ex with the request, oh, I would like to have more time with my son. I urge you in the strongest possible terms to not phrase it as, well, since he cries when I give him back to you, it seems like I should probably have more time with him. So why don't we negotiate that? that? (laughs) Please don't say that. Don't say that. I have a couple of questions for this gentleman. The questions, obviously, that he cannot answer because uh, that's not how podcasts work, but that I would like him to think about and that I think are worth thinking about. You know, I, I... I agree with you that it seems clear from its omission in this letter that the kid does not do this when um, when he's dropped off, when dad picks him up, that there's no similar time when dad is taking charge of this kid and the kid gets upset. So I would like to know, how does the environment at your house differ from the environment at mom's Mom's house, house, at your ex's house? Maybe it's as simple as, as as possibly you think of it, that you're fun and your ex is a total drag. But maybe it's also that at mom's house, there are rules. Mm-hmm. And at your house, you ignore the rules. 
Or at mom's house, there are responsibilities that they all have to do because mom is busy or because there are things that have to happen around the house. But at your house, because you only have them for about two days, you guys just play games. This may not be the case, but I want you to remain open to the possibility that uh, that you are setting this child up for uh, for feeling upset and disappointed when they return home because you are creating in your two days with him a kind of fantasy land version of parent-child life uh, that differs sharply from the reality of parent-child life that he must return to uh, every Saturday evening. It is great for your house to be a place that he loves. It is great for his time with you to be a thing that he enjoys. Mm -hmm. But I want to encourage you not to make your house Disney World and not make your time with him like uh, Fun time. Yeah. And I'll I'll add one more quick anecdote. Um, You know, there were times where I would drop my daughter off or I would come pick my daughter up from her dad's house um, and, and she'd be really unhappy about leaving with me. Or I'm sorry, she'd be really unhappy about leaving him. And it got to a point where I was like, is she just happier there? Like, am I doing her a disservice by being, you know, at that point, I, I was the um, primary uh, custodial parent, if you will. We didn't divide her time so as equally as we do now. I wonder, am I just being selfish? You know, like maybe she just has a better quality of life there. And not too long after that anxiety set in, I went away a few times and had some extended absences. And I was able to see the other side of it, which was when I wasn't around, she was really upset. You know, she missed me terribly. She was she was not okay with it. So I think it's possible that if the tables were turned, you know, or if mom were to be removed for a while or if he wasn't able to see her for a bit, that he'd be really upset about that, too. So I, I don't want you to it, it may be tempting to kind of puff up your chest and say, well, <laughs> just seems like one of us is doing a better job at this thing. You know, or, guess I'm the favorite. Guess I'm the favorite. Don't don't assume that. Please don't assume that. And I'd be willing to bet the ice cream consumption levels are higher at your house than at mom's house. I'm just saying. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so we're on to our next question. And again, hearing from the fantastic Shasha Lanard. Dear mom and dad, my 14-year-old son just started high school three weeks ago. Yesterday, he asked me to get him condoms. Yikes. I said I was proud of him for asking, but that he's too young to have sex and he's too young for the big emotions that come with it. Plus, condoms are only 80% effective and he's way too young to be a daddy. Plus, 
He can only lose his virginity once, and is he sure, after such a short amount of time, that this is the girl he wants to remember forever? She's the older sister of a new friend of his, and they are now boyfriend and girlfriend. I can't lock him in the basement until I think he's old enough, right? Good grief, now what? Okay, Dan, I've got a lot to say. Let's, I, I want to hear from you first. If I know one thing about teenagers, it's that they excel at having sex whether their parents think they should or not. They are just fantastic at it. From time immemorial, teenagers have been having sex with each other, often against the explicit wishes of their parents. So, caller, letter writer, I don't think it matters that you think that he is too young to have sex and he is too young for the big emotions that come with it. I think you can make it matter. There are conversations you can have with him, uh, but you can't ensure that he will not have sex. You cannot ensure abstinence through, uh, through anything that you say to him. And so get the condoms. Buy the condoms. Go with him to the drugstore to buy the condoms together. You should absolutely continue talking to him about his choices. You should absolutely keep talking to him about what he wants, about the reasons you think that it is too soon, about the circumstances and possible consequences, about the benefits of moving slowly in a relationship. But buy the fucking condoms. He should have the condoms so that if just by chance – Like many, many, many other teenagers, he accidentally has sex. Maybe he can accidentally also be wearing a condom. What do you think, Jamila? You know, I I just say a kid who has the chutzpah to ask his mother to purchase condoms is probably not going to be stopped in his quest to lose his virginity if he, (laughs) in fact, has not already lost it by her saying no. I am really impressed um, that this young man would think to ask his mother to provide condoms for him as opposed to simply getting them on his own. And I don't know where they live, but in many places, uh, they're pretty easy to access. Uh, I don't know if it's yeah, just... Yeah, I was a- curious. Is he just like really, really broke? Right. That's literally what I was thinking. I was like, okay, maybe because small the ans- town. Because the answer to that is that you steal the condoms. You steal the condoms. Or you go yeah. to, you know, a free clinic. I mean, it, you're obviously not in New York City where they like give free condoms out. I don't know, like kindergarten or something. But they're yeah, everywhere. They're true. in grocery stores. They're in restaurants. They're everywhere. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's great that he's thinking about protection. I think it's it's great that he's being honest with you about his interest in, um, you know, becoming sexually active, whether he's telling you the complete truth about whether he's already started or not. Uh, but as Dan said, you'll never know the complete truth. And if he wants to do it, he's going to find a way to do it. I do disagree with Dan saying that you should go together to buy the condoms. What you don't want is to create an embarrassing situation. Um, some sort of traumatic memory associated with condoms that finds him (laughs) thinking it's just easier to just go on ahead and do it without them. Because at one point he will realize that sex can happen without a condom and that is dangerous territory and not something that you want him dabbling with at 14 years old. Condoms are more than 80% effective. Condoms are 98% effective. This is according to data from Planned Parenthood. 
if they are used properly. Now, the effectiveness drops into the 80, 80th percentile when they're not used correctly. So 85 percent, 85%, 85%, 85%. Yeah. So what you would want to do is make sure that your child knows how to properly use a condom. So I say buy him the condoms, buy a big box, you know, go on Amazon, wherever, get a big old thing of them, right? Have a bowl, put them somewhere in the house that you don't have to look at constantly, where there's enough of them that you're not, don't count them, okay? If you put 30 in there, don't go in there and see if there's only 27, but enough where you're not, it, it doesn't become drastically obvious that the first ones have disappeared and replenish it often. You can do a subscription service on Amazon, subscribe and save, have a box of condoms sent to the house every month and, and just have it filled up so that you're not counting his condom usage. And before you send him out into the world with these condoms, show him how to use them. You can use a banana and demonstrate that will be plenty awkward and <laughs> plenty uncomfortable. That seems way more awkward than going but to the store to buy the condoms. At least it's in the <laughs> privacy of your home. You can embarrass me at home. Don't embarrass me in front of people, okay? That's funny. You know? I would say find a, one, a YouTube video where someone uses a banana to show you okay. how to put you on can a condom. Show, or you can and... watch the YouTube video together. You know, you just want to make sure, just be there for the watching of the YouTube video. What you want to make sure of is that he knows how to use a condom properly, that he knows that they cannot be turned inside out. Out. They can't be used more than once. They can't be washed out. You can't use Vaseline or baby oil or coconut oil with them. Um, give him a good lesson on effective condom usage. As far as your anxiety about his virginity, I think one, you know, and, and everyone's code of, of behavior and morals are, are different. I think that the idea, I myself think that the idea of virginity being something that we have to treasure and, and you know, Think about for the rest of our life the person who we who took it. Um, that that that's silly, and you don't know for certain that he's a virgin now. I'm going to say that again, but also, you know, like he he's going to probably have sex with a lot of people over the course of his life. You know, whether a lot to you is five or ten or, or fifty or a hundred. This is virginity is just a thing you kind of have to get out of the way it's like the 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 label when you open up a, a box of something and, and inside the box there's a tube and inside the tube there's you know a top and under the top there's like the the foil wrapping right it's just the foil wrapping between you and the rest of your sexual life it, it does not always have to be a profound you know life-changing or, or heartbreaking or a heartwarming experience and if you as his mother put all of that weight on what the first person person who you have sex with means to you then if things go awry between him and this girl then he may have the emotional breakdown that you are, are fearful of because you've made him feel that this is such a huge deal you know most teenage relationships do not work it is very rare that somebody is 30 and still with their high school sweetheart it certainly happens right but it does not happen often and it's possible that you know, they'll get sick of each other or he'll be the one to break her little heart. But instead of worrying over his emotional response to this, realize that the teenage sex train is here. It, it, it's in the station. It's getting ready to pull out. And if you don't want him to rely on the pullout method to keep you from becoming a grandparent, <laughs> then you need to make sure he knows how to use a condom. That you're not overwhelming him with, with fear or shame or anxiety about what it means to be sexually active. That you are talking to him about protecting himself 
from parenthood as well as infections or diseases and letting him know that you trust him, you support him, you will be there to dry his tears if things don't go the way he wants them to. You will not stand for him mistreating young women um, that that he sleeps with. I think that'd be a far more productive uh, conversation to have than the idea of, you know, what if she's not the one, right? Like, what if... You instead talk about how important it is to only sleep with people who respect his body, his emotions, um, his humanity, and for him to treat anyone that he sleeps with with that same respect, that he cares about her safety, her comfort. If Does she want to do this? Are you sure? We don't have to. No pressure. Are you comfortable? You know, are, are you pleased? Are you happy? Do you feel safe? And I'm going to be nice to you the next day at school, whether you are the love of my life or the girl who said yes after the dance. That's the conversation you need to have. If he has a deep emotional attachment to the idea of virginity, that, that he's either gotten from things you said to him prior to this or from other messaging, that's fine. But I think that the worst thing you can do is beat that drum now when he's probably buying condoms from the local Walgreens as we speak because you told him no. I mean, you certainly you certainly shouldn't assume that he feels the exact same way about his virginity that you did about yours, right? Or that you think he should. I don't think there are actually that many 14-year-old boys who are thinking about their virginity as – who are thinking about losing their virginity in the context of, well, how will I look back on this when I'm 44? They're looking at losing their virginity as how do I make this happen as soon as possible? I think that is the case for many 14-year-olds of both genders. Do you remember the person with him? I I also – I want to see us have the habit of saying losing our virginity. Like, do you remember the first person you had sex with? I do, yes. You remember but her I name? also have a, a very low number of people I've had sex with in my life. So it's with not that hard to pick them out of a lineup. That's fair. But that was but that was my journey. And there's no particular reason that my kid or this person's kid are gonna have the same uh path through life. And you're absolutely right that to assume that this boy's feelings about losing his virginity are anything like you, a grown adult's feelings about losing virginity is like bananas. Like there's almost no way that that argument is going to hold any weight with him. Another argument that will not hold any weight with him, uh, if you are still trying to like state your case, which I think as a mom, you have the right to state your case and make the case for why, for why you might recommend waiting. Um, because he'll just disregard it if he wants to, is telling him that he is uh, way too young to have sex and too young for the big emotions that come with it. Uh, Rare is the 14-year-old boy who told that he is too young for something (laughs) goes, oh, yeah, I guess I am too young for that. I guess I won't do that thing I really want to do because I'm too young for it. Uh, That's never happened in the history of the world. He is... A young man whose brain is still forming with poor impulse control, uh, get him the condoms so that whatever he decides and whatever his partner decides, they're covered. With that, 
If you want to have your question answered on the podcast, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send an email to momanddad at slate.com and we may skewer your emotions just as we did that poor letter writer who's concerned about her son losing his virginity. Mom, we know that your heart is in the right place and I hope we didn't beat up on you too bad, okay? We just want you to keep the young man safe. Keep him safe. That's what matters most. And with that, um, it's time for recommendations where we share something that we like, something our kids like, or something that someone we deeply respect really likes. Dan, what are you recommending this week? I'm going to recommend a food uh, that has been a an enormous hit in our family. So we, like I think many families these days, are a mixed vegetarian carnivorous family. And in fact, we're a pretty extreme version of that because Harper is a vegetarian. She's officially a pescatarian in that she will eat fish, but in fact, she rarely does and only really in stick form. Um, So really, she's just a straight vegetarian. Um, Lyra, meanwhile, is almost a pure carnivore. Like she, her dietary habits are like that of a lion on the savanna. If she could freshly kill a gazelle, I think she'd be (laughs) delighted. But whatever she eats, she really wants it to be meat like she really just really enjoys meat uh and that has been a lot of um improvising at mealtimes a lot of you know making something and and making a meat and putting it on rice and giving harper the rice and then making you know beans or something to throw on top of it for her or um telling lyra hey we're just not doing it today you're not getting any meat sorry and then having her be annoyed um but we have found a food uh, that is just an enormous hit with both of them and also with us. And th- it is the Impossible Burger. And I feel like a total shill mm. uh, for like big agri fake meat or whatever the company is that's making these things. I don't even know what's in them. I mean, they say they're 100% plant material, uh, but they just really, really, really seem like meat. <laughs> they <laughs> seem like meat in a way that totally satisfies our carnivorous kid. They are vegetables in a way that totally satisfies our vegetarian kid. Um, they're delicious. They're real. They're, you know, they're you grill them up. They're easier to make than a regular burger. Um, they're thicker and heartier than most veggie burgers. They have just been a, like a super great dinner solution. We have them like once a week now, and it's like a meal that everyone really likes in our house. And they just sell them now in the grocery store. Like my experience with Impossible Burgers before is that. Some fast food chain or smallish, like indie burger joint, would announce that they had Impossible Burgers, mm-hmm. and then people would go there to eat them. But now they just sell them in the Harris Teeter by our house uh, in two packs, and they're a little pricier than burger meat, but they're really good. So Impossible Burgers, buy them, give them to your kids, uh, at least until we find out they're made with some horrible secret that I won't say out loud for fear of a lawsuit <laughs> from the Impossible Burger people. So I went green as people, right? But Impossible Burgers are, of course, not people. We would never say such a thing. Definitely not. No. Right. And I will say I I have um, been bitten by the Impossible Bug, but not too hard because I, I resisted for the same reasons, which is like, okay, you know, what exactly is this? Is this necessarily right. healthier than eating beef? And then they and, – and I've had very different experiences with them. Like it, it, I've had them at, like you said, at small restaurants, um, some where they tried to make them a little bit too pink in the middle to give you the mouthfeel of having a, you know, medium rare beef burger, which was pretty right. not good. If your Impossible Burger bleeds, that's like not that's actually not, as appealing as they think it it's is. It's definitely 
definitely not appealing. So just the words to why I stopped marketing it that way. But then I had it at Burger King. Oh my God. Have you all had <laughs> the Impossible Whopper? I have not. I but I, I can only imagine how good it is. I was not necessarily, I'd have, I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, like I, I eat chicken, so I don't always have to go for a veggie burger. When I want a veggie burger, I usually want one that tastes like vegetables. The, Dan, take your, I, I'm not a big Burger King fan. I'm not a big fast food fan. The Impossible Whopper is life-changing. And by life-changing, I mean, I gained five pounds this summer. <laughs> because I wasn't parenting. Because I was eating impossible. Well, I, would, I didn't have my kids, so I was like, <laughs> I was going to Popeyes for chicken sandwiches and Burger King for Impossible Whoppers at like one a.m. Not one a.m. Like eleven o'clock at night after like leaving a co-working space. That'd be like my whole food for the day, and then I'd start over the next day, and I wouldn't eat. So it was like I was doing intermittent fasting with Impossible Burgers, but they were so good. So yes, I co-signed that, and I will quickly add that my recommendation this week. Is for a little board book called C is for Consent. And it is a very easy to read book um, targeting kids between the ages of, uh, say, one and eight, even though an eight-year-old might find it to be a little bit more like a baby book than they'd want it to be. Um, They can read it for themselves, which is uh, still pretty cool for some eight-year-olds. And it's about body boundaries Um, and, and that it's okay to say no to hugs and kisses, that you have a right to determine what happens to your body and that you should have the confidence to say, you know, I would like for you to hold my hand or no, you can't hold my hand. And it follows a very cute little boy who's trying to figure out, um, you know, he wants to hold his homegirl's hand, but he learns to wait for consent to do that. And it's very sweet. And I think that with so many of the stories we are hearing in the news uh, for the past centuries about um, what happens when people do not obtain consent before engaging with another person's body, um, that this is a really cool way to help very young kids understand it. And something that I wish uh, folks in our peer groups had had exposure to growing up because for some reason, consent seems to be a new conversation, but it's an old concept and it's an important one. And it's one that we don't always talk to about with kids. So it's beyond the idea of, oh my God, will my child be on the wrong side of a me too moment one day? It's, you don't have to give every auntie or grandma, you know, who wants a big hug and some sugar, you know, a hug and some sugar, you know, like you you don't have to do that. And I've seen parents say, no, it's okay. You know, he's not feeling very touchy or, you know, she's not feeling so well. But there have also been, you know, some of my fellow super progressive feminist parents, including myself at times, was like, go on and give him a hug. Why are you being so shy? And, you know, I think it's a good reminder to us too that like we should not force, um, physical interaction on our kids and sometimes that means even you as mom or dad you know you want to hug you want to cuddle and they're not up for it It, it's not a rejection of your love it's a matter of them feeling comfortable expressing what they want in that moment and that we have to respect it so c is from consent it's by eleanor morrison and illustrated by faye orlove and it is available in many many places no endorsements for any particular bookseller we'll put a link to it on the show page and with that uh, thank you for listening to the Wrap It Up edition of Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Again, if you have a question you want to ask us on air, leave a message at 424-255-7833 or email Dad at slate.com. Join us on Facebook, search Slate Parenting, and hope that uh, 
master moderator Dan will let you in. It took a while for me to get in the group, but he allowed me to. You had to vet party. you thoroughly, Jamila. <laughs> just did. had to make sure. He did. Um, Mom and Dad are fighting is produced by the lovely and patient Just Jupiter. I'm Jamila Lemieux, and on behalf of myself and Dan, thank you so much for listening this week, and we will talk to you again soon. Hey, welcome Slate Plus members. Thank you so much for being members of our program. It really helps everything that Slate does. Uh, it helps make our news stories.